Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to another edition of Cinema Files Radio. I'm still trying to get that startup music just down the right pipe. Right now it's a little too loud or a little too low. You know, God. Thank you again for joining us. We've had a great run. This is our sixth show. We've had incredible numbers. Incredible people coming into the show, calling in wanting to be on the show, desiring to be on the show, giving great answers while being on the show. We've had great guests. So this is our sixth episode today. Today we have a very special episode, just like every other episode, but we have the very world-famous Ed Parker Jr. joining us today. Father Ed Parker Sr. will be talking about his experience with the Elvis and Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris and his life and Kempo and movies and on and on and on. Now look Charles Carpenter today. Charles Carpenter is on and off his job today. Has to work to feed his kids. <laughs> he is a working actor. And as the working actors do, they work. Today we have a couple of subjects we're going to be talking fashion based on. One is one of my favorite shows right now, which is called The Killing. And one is one of my number one most hated film at the moment, which is Noah. So we'll be talking about both of those. Then we'll get on our special guest and talk to him about his life and get to know him a little better. Let's kick back, listen to some music, and get this party started. Thank you for joining us today. My, I'm your host, Steve Pisa. You're joining us today at Cinema Files Radio. You can find us on Cinema Files Radio on Facebook, Cinema File Radio on Twitter. You can also find a account almost anywhere based on our name, Cinema Files Radio, Steve Pisa, P-I-S-A. Let's talk about our first show today. My new favorite show is called The Killing. Now, it's on Netflix. It was originally set in the AMC world. So they had first two seasons that were on AMC, just like The Walking Dead. And I would say just like The Walking Dead, it started off very, very, very strong. The story is about a 
a police investigator investigating a a crime in Seattle. I don't want to give too much away, but it's, it's investigating a crime in Seattle, and it follows a very troubled detective, female detective, and then her new partner uh, coming on board. I, I love these actors, and, and forgive me, I, it's really difficult to pronounce their names because uh, you know, some of them are American and some of them are not. And, and uh, This is a different country's or media. So it's not necessarily from America. It is, it is a European um, show. So it's uh, uh, Marilia Enos and Joel Kinnaman. Joel Kinnaman was in Robocop, the new Robocop, the forgettable one. But I would say this about that. He, as an actor, is phenomenal. He's a fantastic actor. I think they released him in his own solo film too early, before anybody got to know him. Joel Kinnaman if you watch the show, and I hope you do watch the show, is an amazing actor. The show's, the show's front runner is a woman. It was created by a woman. The book was written by a woman, brought to America by a woman. The, the lead character is a woman. And you have to wonder, the male character who plays the uh, sidekick, the partner, how is he going to deal with all this estrogen or all this... The female dichotomy. How does he deal with this? Well, when you see the character, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. How is he going to deal with all these people? Well, with a sense of humor, sense of relaxation. He's got a really affable personality. So the killing that is on Netflix right now, the first two seasons were produced by AMC. They canceled it. And then Netflix executive produced the third season with AMC to get a third season down. So they finished that on Netflix right now. And then Netflix executive produced and created a fourth season that's being finished right now that will be released at the end of July, the beginning of August. So the fourth season is what everybody is waiting for. Now, the first two seasons of The Killing are, it, it's a difficult subject matter to talk about and a difficult subject matter to, to watch. So it's, it's not easy. If you like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, it's very close to that, except this character is not an idiot. <laughs> Girl with Dragon Tattoo, I'm, tr- I'm not trying to uh, insult you, but her character was a bit dumb to me. It was not, it was not an in- incredibly intelligent human being, even though she was really great with tech and all that stuff. The character in The Killing, uh, who is uh, Sarah Linden, uh, Officer Sarah Linden, and Holder, played by Joel Kinman. Sarah Linden and, 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 and Stephen Holder are the two characters, the two main characters of, of The Killing. And they're just fantastic. They hold it together. She plays a very troubled, troubled uh, character. Man or woman, it doesn't matter. She plays, she plays very troubled. And we're not talking about alcohol. We're not talking about drugs. We're talking about addiction to misery or addiction to the case or addiction to solving something that's unsolvable or looking for answers where there are none. She's a very troubled character. It's very, very, very interesting. Well, Joel Kinnaman, played by... Uh, I mean, Joel Kinnaman, who plays Officer Holder, he's a very different character. Uh, he was brought onto the force as a ex-drug addict. And he gets played as being a sucker halfway through the show. You've got to watch it. Uh, to know where his character and how his character develops. Because at the beginning, she has animosity towards him, and then later on, he finds out why. 
he doesn't understand at the beginning. He's very friendly. He's very good looking. He's a good looking guy. He's very friendly, very funny. He doesn't sound like why people don't like him. Well, they call him the white M&M. It's kind of a long-going joke there. But anyways, the first two seasons are fantastic. The third season that I'm watching right now, it's a little, it's a little difficult to stomach. It touches on a lot of subject matter that's difficult to listen to, uh, very difficult to sit through. But if you like the show by the first two seasons, then you're going to love this third season. You know? Now, the fourth season, I have no idea what it's about. But I did want to warn you about the third season. You watch the first two seasons, it's basically about the same case. You watch the third season, it's, it's a very difficult subject matter. It's a very difficult thing to watch. It's not a date show, the third season. <laughs> so be very careful when you watch that season. Uh, very difficult to watch, very difficult to listen to, but it's a fantastic show. So if you like the girl with the dragon tattoo, but you didn't like her character and how she developed or how she came to terms with who she was, I think The Killing does a better job. It comes from basically, I believe it comes from Denmark. It comes from essentially the same areas. You can, you can tell that they have the same kind of modus operandi, the same kind of motive when they're talking about different subject matters. They have the same coldness, the same kind of very dry humor when it comes to the attitudes of crime and what have you. But it translated very, very well. Anyways, the show is called The Killing. It started in 2011. Got 8.1 stars on IMDb. It's a great show. Um, it stars uh, again Marilia Enos, then Joel Kinnaman, Billy Campbell. It's got a whole slew of go up the yin yang. Now it's got a lot, a lot of different directors. You know, so you can go up the up the yin yang with, with directors and what have you. But the show is an excellent show. Watch it on Netflix right now. Bum rush through the first two seasons, and then if you like it. If you like the first three episodes, you're going to love, love, love the third season. And by the end of that, well, you're going to be ready for the fourth season of The Killing. The Killing. All right. That was one of my favorite shows right now. I cannot stop watching it. Um, I love, 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 love The Killing. Now, on to the, sh- on to the movie that I dislike. <laughs> I wanted to start with this, actually. I'll be honest. I want to start with the negative and go on to the positive, but I got to go on to this. I saw Noah last night. And boy, wow, did I hate this movie. I mean, I hated this movie more than, I don't know, ex-smokers hate cigarettes? If you understand what that means. I mean, it stars Russell Crowe, Jennifer Connelly, Ray Winston, Anthony Hopkins, Emma Watson, Logan Lerman, uh, Douglas Booth, Nick Nolte. It's directed by Aronofsky. I mean, do you get any better than Aronofsky? Russell Crowe and Jennifer Connelly. You get Anthony Hopkins. Do you get any better than that? I mean, that is like your dream crew, your dream audience, your dream everything. Aronofsky. Aronofsky, one of the best directors that we know. He pulled an M. Night Shyamalan move on this movie, as far as I'm concerned. There are two people who disagree with me on this. It it doesn't really matter uh, to me. Uh, I'll watch it again, and I'll try to get a different perspective on it. But as it is right now, this movie is just just horrible. I'm going to give you a couple spoilers, because if you haven't seen it by now, uh, it doesn't matter. I'm not missing anything. You must have known the story. But you know, the movie starts off very much like the Book of Eli, where it looks like a post-apocalyptic film. And that's where you're getting the gist of it. It's a post-apocalyptic. It's about the end of the world. You walk around, it very much looks like Firefly. 
<laughs> like the set of Fireflyers Serenity, where they have almost futuristic attire. You know, and I get it. This is the end of the world, and oh, the re-beginning of civilization and, and tech and, and attire. So things are going to change. So obviously, it's like a, a rebirth of a tech generation and what have you. But it, 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 that's not the part that bothers That's not the part that bothers When you watch the film, you're going to see, what, four or five or six fallen angels. They really focus on four. And these fallen angels turn into rock monsters. It has a lot to do with them falling from grace and falling into the mud of the earth and becoming one with the soil of the earth and being held down in captivity by by earthlings and by the mentality of, of hatred and anger. All that it's all based on symbolism and what have you. Know, Aronofsky is just a genius of that stuff. But it looked like Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. That's what it looked like when he's making the ark. It looked like Lord of the Rings. He had four rock monsters helping him make the ark. And then later on through the film, when you had a bamboozle, of people trying to destroy the Ark or capture or get onto the Ark, these rock monsters defend the Ark. And it looks like Lord of the Rings. Now, I'm going to say this about the film. Coming from The Killing, where I wouldn't say it's kind to women. I would say that it, it portrays women in a realistic light, or it doesn't... It, it, it takes more of the Shakespeare Othello perspective on women where it doesn't make them women or men, it just puts them in a position and makes them act. And this film, you don't want to be a woman. <laughs> in this world, you don't want to be a woman. Even, even when Noah takes the women on, on, the, uh, on the ark, you don't want to be a woman. Nor do you want to have children that are girls. It's horrible. I get the fact that Noah was most likely... If you were going to look at it on a pragmatic perspective, kind of cruel and mean person, considering the fact that he had to keep the world alive and bring the animals together and allow people to die and, and keep on floating away and, and have the earth re, be reborn. But this was a whole different level of I'm a jerk. You know, this is a brand new level of, of I'm a survivalist. This is a, the only thing that matters is what I believe and what I perceive. And I don't know if Aronofsky is trying to punk our audiences or if he's trying to send some secret message to people of religion or faith. Um, Darren Aronofsky is not a dumb person. He's not stupid. So it felt like a lot of things that he was doing in this film felt like either one, he was making fun of somebody, or B, he didn't care and he wanted to recreate or reformat like a Kubrick style. So I, I couldn't really get a handle on what he was trying to do. The only I can see were a lot of the ridiculousness of the film. What I grew up with, Noah, was being a person of great hope and inspiration, a person who basically brought everybody back together again when everything else was falling apart. He was basically the Jerry Maguire of the Old Testament to me. You know, who's coming with me? He was that person to me, growing up, being a good little, you know, altar boy. Noah was the person who brought people on the ark, brought the animals on the ark, and looked for ways to 
create a better world, better civilization. He saw the way the world was going, didn't like it, and wanted to change it. I never saw him as a jerk. I, I knew you had to be a certain person to be this person. That is the truth. But without love, compassion, I mean, is, is that really a human species that you want to follow through? By the way, <laughs> in the film, uh, Emma Watson is bare. She's barren. She cannot have children. And, and who gives her the ability to have children? A man. <laughs> I, I, I love... It, it, it makes me laugh because if you look at Aronofsky's other films, it is mostly the females that are sticking flames and, and making certain moves and, and motivating the story. And in this one, it's mostly male. And, and I agree with, with a friend of mine when, when she said that at the end of the film... It, it was the women who set him straight. That was after great fear. He created great fear in them for them to, for them to do that. They didn't just naturally want to do it. They did it because they were afraid of him, and they were afraid of the outcome. So I, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I just didn't like this film very much. Um, because right now on people who did like the film, who, 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 who are disagreeing, I'm seeing a lot of people right now on on. On blog talk, who are talking to me right now, saying that they disagree with the, with the film, that they they liked it and they didn't like. So we're gonna we're gonna huge split down the middle of people who did like the film and who didn't like it. Well, I'll tell you right now, from my first viewing, I did not like this movie at all, at all. Um, but if you have a different opinion, I would love for you to call in. I would love to hear your opinion. I like to hear what you have to say. Um, what's your side? Because as far as I'm concerned, this film is basically a punk on on, on uh, the biblical story, if not uh, the movie itself. So that's how I feel by Noah. Anyways, if you have a difference of opinion, please call in. Give us a call here at uh, 657-383-1444. I would love to hear your opinion on Noah or the killing. Until then, we're going to take a small little break and then bring our, our guest on, Mr. Ed Parker Jr. Let's take a little listen to our radio and get right back on.
Well, hello, everybody. I'm talking to the great Ed Parker, Jr. And we're having an excellent conversation on Noah. And uh, I wanted to stop our conversation because I, I actually wanted to bring him on the air to talk about uh, Noah for just for, for just a second so we can continue on. Uh, let's, let's welcome our great guest here, Mr. Ed Parker, Jr. Welcome. To Thank you. So we were talking about Noah a bit on, on the side there, and I, I wanted to continue the conversation. But it was really, really nice. But sure. what, I, what, I, what we were talking about before was how, how disappointing the film was and how our imagination is so grander than cinematography can be. And what was your take on that? Yeah, there, there's, there's definitely some, some um, you know, high hurdles for a cinematographer to try to, 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 um, to reach. And when you're when you're birthed with all these kind of biblical stories and stuff like that, the way your mind pictures it, it it's so rooted in the way that we all kind of personally feel it on our own level. That to try to fit that puzzle piece in all minds is really difficult. I mean, even like with uh, you know, like the Passion of the Christ type thing, you had to take a little slice of a moment and try to do that. But the the audience that you're trying to sell is is a hard sell. You know, so I, I, you know, to me, it's kind of like if you get the bad ratings on a biblical thing, you know, I, good luck right. trying to, you know, good luck nowadays. <laughs> it's a difficult <laughs> pill to swallow. I mean, is is it one of those I, things where you you kind of give them with a grain of salt and you kind of give them a little bit of forgiveness and watch it anyways, or do, or do you you just say, listen, I only have so many hours in my existence. You, you know, it all comes down to, you know, um, what story are they telling? You know, is it, because, you know, not a negative way, but when you go to Hollywood, you don't go to Hollywood for truth. You go to Hollywood for entertainment. You know, I've been involved in several movies, and, you know, even one of the movies I was involved in, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, my whole scene was embellished. You know, the whole scene, it, it didn't go down as a fight. It went down as a demonstration. But, but right. you know, and, and this isn't a negative thing, but the way that Hollywood can tell a story is different. Hollywood says, okay, look, I can put five movies in a movie theater in a day. So that's how many I can mm. do. I can't put Dances with Wolves in because I can only show two times a day. And so, you know, you have to look at it from the, from the back end forward, and you sit there and say, okay, look, they're only willing to buy your movie if it fits in a time frame of X amount of minutes. And if it fits in that X amount of minutes, you have to embellish your story to basically tell the gist of the spirit of it, like, for instance, the Bruce Lee story. There's a lot of things that didn't happen in there, but the, the, the movie was tossed around Hollywood for years. And it wasn't until they came from the white woman going against, you know, the system by marrying an Asian man in a, in a racial tension time and their way of defeating it and rising to the top type story, you know, and it just happened to be the Bruce right. Lee story. But it was a, from coming from the romantic angle is what sold it because then it allows to, to encompass more than just the male audience going, yay, Bruce Lee. You know, they, they encompass right. the romantic aspects so that at least when the wives and the girlfriends are brought to the theater, yeah, we could all enjoy it. <laughs> you know, right. you know well, that's well, how let's, it works. Well, absolutely. I mean, I mean let, let's go back because... He, you obviously have a, a history in cinema and illustration. I mean, we, we go back to you being born. But, but you going to Brigham Young University in Hawaii and major in illustration and also theatrical arts. And, you know, what was, what was your, your, your key into that issue? Were you trying to get into movies? Were you, were you, what, was your, what was your thing for that? 
Well, yeah, I mean, my direction, I think everybody has their direction when you, you know, that whole thing, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. I want to do this. I always wanted to be an artist, a creative, but that never was not the factor in my life. It still is where I'm at now. It's all about creativity. To me, you either destroy or you create. There's only two things I do in life. Everything is yin-yang, but it depends on how heavily you weight on, on those two balanced things within life. And, and to me, it's you create or you destroy. And, and there's nothing wrong with destroying because that's part of the balance of life, too. You have to destroy a building to build a new building. It's just maybe traumatic at the time for certain things, but it's just the balance of life. But I just happen to weigh on the creative side. And, and how it started is I started off with a box of crayons, and I never put my box of crayons away. <laughs> it was really that simple. You know, you, you know, as a creative, any creative, whether you're a writer or you're music or make movies or whatever, what you're doing is you're capturing emotion. You're trying to get your audience to buy into that, that parallel to that emotion. When I do a painting, it's about making somebody get that same emotional feeling that I had when I painted it. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to embrace the emotions of people. And, and that's just what, what happens from a creative artistic angle. And, of course, that's how you get your food. That's how you get your kudos. When you, keep, when you have an audience that appreciates what you do, that's way better than the paycheck until the bills are due. <laughs> you go, oh, man, you got to take this a little more serious. You know, but you do it for right. passion because that's what most creatives do. And they're the ones who, you know, wake up a little early and go to bed every night because you're driven by the vision that you have of creativity, of whatever it is, whether it's movie making or whatever. I mean, because you don't have to do any of this stuff. You choose to. Right, right. That's great. Hey, I want to I want to talk to you before we go further into your father, your training, movies, and all this other stuff that's very interesting about your life. I really want to talk about your your Native American reservation work, your missionary work. That's very interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. You work with the Navajo, the, the Hopi. Uh, t- tell me, what did you do with these tribes, and how did they work out, and how, what was your experience like with them? Well, what I did was um, at the age of twenty. I left college in Hawaii. I was I was studying film and theater and um, um, and art. And and then in the middle of that, I, I saw everybody going to Honolulu and partying and getting drunk and doing the disco thing. I was a disco era. I mean, I was full on YMCA and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> at its highlight, you know, and you know, and everybody was going down into Honolulu and doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show participation movie stuff, which was always great, you know, because it was fun. And that was the era, and that was when everybody did stuff, and it was disco, disco, disco. And I just looked around, and I'm just going, you know what? There's got to be more to life than this. There really has got to be more to life than just my own personal gratification of getting drunk or getting high or, or, or you know, having a sexual experience or whatever. And I thought there was more to life than that. And so I volunteered two years of my life to go work with the um, Indian reservations of the southwest area. And I worked with educational placement. I worked with uh, marital counseling and um, drug and alcohol rehabilitation. And um, uh, it came from a you know a Christian based angle, and that's what we worked on. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I love these. You know, I love the classic missionary styles. My my nephew does the same thing. He goes off to Mexico, and he builds uh, these. Uh, Houses, very low low housing, and also uh, housing for children who are being adopted. And it's it's kind of frightening when you listen to your nephew talk about it, who's like 16 years old, and you're 
you know, three times older than him going, can I help? You know, it, it's very, you know, I remember a long time ago when we, we started a, um, a Toys for Todd at one of our dojos. And somebody once told me, I said, uh, you know, we should really all put the schools together and do this whole thing together. And they're saying, oh, no, pe- people know where to give. They, they don't want to give to us. They, they know where to put this stuff. And the actual truth is people don't. People don't know where to give or how to give. There's and a lot of assumptions that people know, and they don't. Yeah. yeah. Right. Did you find that people didn't know when you did missionary work? I mean, you know, there's a lot of assumption of who I am because of my dad. You know, I mean, when when my dad and sure. who he was, and 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 you know, some of the audience knows who he was, some of them don't. Google, very Googleable. Anyway, right. Um, right. In in terms of in in terms of the way I was raised, there's a lot of projection because my dad was involved with famous people. He was involved with his passion and his historical aspects of his life. And it rolls over because we all assume right. because you share the name, you share the interest. No, I didn't. <laughs> Not at all. Right. We were very, very right. different. Yeah. Totally loved my dad. Totally respected my dad. Totally support his vision and what he was about. I, I dedicated my life to the man because I actually was working on uh, a TV show called Magnum P.I. That was the direction I was going. I made a couple of films that right. won the Hawaii State Film Festival two years in a row, and they, and they got me work on that. And then in the middle of that, my dad gave me a guilt speech, what Polynesians do. And the guilt speech was, I had a vision, I think I'm going to die, and I'm not going to get my life's work done without my son. What do you say? You say, well, you know what, thank you, Magnum P.I., I'm coming home, and I'm going to help you with your life's work, Dad. And I did for nine years, and then he died, you know. And I'm glad I did. You know, I'm glad what I did for him, and I'm glad I listened to the call of my father. But you know, at the same time, you know, during that process, is you know, I, I did my own thing, and I, I did my college thing, and I did my my missionary work, and I've always tried to pursue a, a creative aspect. But then when I um, moved into his realm, all I did was bring my creative skills into what he needed. You know, you you always bring what you bring to the table, which is you know your skill set. And mine was um, presentation, you know, because, you know, the, what do they say? You know, three rules of business is uh, management, 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 um, crowded school, right. location, 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 and uh, art is presentation, wow. presentation, presentation. And, and, you know, that was what my focus was, is how do I present my father or the art or the industry in a better light? Because this is what I bring to the table. Because unfortunately, martial arts in, 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 in a, in a, as a whole think that they all wear the same, they, they can all wear 50 hats at the same time. You know, or you think that you know, to be a great martial artist, you have to be the best fighter. And, and the martial arts is a huge tree. And you can have a huge amount of people on one side of the tree that have nothing to do with fighting and never will. You know, that's not their focus. You know, their focus can be just great teachers of children and so on and so forth. There's so many different branches that they can focus on or writing or, or, or even choreography for movies or whatever. There's endless branches that you can specialize in. And when people are able to focus on that aspects of their passions and their talents and come together for the greater good is when things happen. And I, you've been mentioning that about the, you know, was it the Toys for Tots type thing, you know, through the martial arts community that you guys were running. Um, there's a guy in um, uh, Orange County that I highly respect. His name is Bob White, one of my dad's top black belts. And um, he, he dedicated his tournaments towards raising money for abused children to send them to camp. And it, it's a beautiful thing because now he's rallying the martial artists together for a greater cause, you know, a, a bigger vision than, you know, 
you know, let's go to Cozumel again. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I'm digging the direction where the, the lack of selfishness in the industry is starting to change. You know, I mean, the less selfishness and more giving, you know. And, I, and I'm liking that. Well, that was fascinating. Sir, I lost you there for about uh, two minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right? I'm here. Yeah, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm sorry about that. Okay. So I'm seeing my, my calling link just blowing up with people going, where are you? Okay. So we were talking <laughs> about your father and, and interests uh, uh, between the two of you. Now, you... you you went back and you saw your father after you were Magnum P.I. And your father passed away at 41 years old and you are 41? I'm sorry, what, 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 say that again? You're, you, did your father, your father pass away when you were, what, 41 years old? No, he passed away when I was 30. Oh, 30, wow. Yeah. What happened after that? So, so he, he passed away. This, 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 this to the martial art world dies. And what, did he, what did he do after that? You do, well, do you continue on with the the dream? Do people want you to continue on on the on the realm? Do they want you to stay in there, or do, or do you just exit out now? What would happen? Well, what 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 happened in in the context of how everything went down was, you know, my dad was such a life preserver for, for people. You know, they 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 or if if you could say he was a boat, there was a lot of people on his boat, a lot of people on his boat, and. And when he died, he left a lot of people captainless. You know, they didn't have a captain to their boat or ship, and they were and they were tossed around and stuff like that. And I, I don't know if you've ever done any. Um, this is a great parallel. If you've ever done any life-saving um, training or anything like for swimming, um, the one thing they teach you when you do life-saving is you do not approach the person head-on, or they'll jump on you and pull you back down. So two people drown, and. The martial arts community was so looking for a leader and so looking for the next Ed Parker or for the fulfillment of that that they they jumped on each other and they drowned themselves to a certain level in their angst 
And it took a while for them to learn to stand on their own two feet and, and manage their own people and move on, you know. It was just an era that he had, and they needed to, you know, you know, it was their turn to shine. So, you know, and what I did was I did my best to support the vision that I was ingrained all my life with what my dad wanted. And, you know, I had a really strong push to finish that goals that we had done, even though he had passed away. There's several goals and books and videos that he was working on that I wanted to finish so badly. But the, the you know, the, the difficult thing is, is that at a, at a point in your life, you go, how much is this for my dad and how much am I living my own life? He's been gone for a while and I'm, I'm, I'm constantly doing work for him or for his community. And after a while, you're just going, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. Right. How much, my life, how much of my life is mine? You know? So then you just change yeah, directions and you... you yeah, yeah, you change directions, and it, and, it, and it angers people, and they don't like it and stuff like that because there's a comfort in, in a consistency, and when the consistency breaks, you know, people get upset, and, you know, and, and some of that happened, and as a result, you know, but at the same time, that's kind of the destruction part that creates rebirth right. and new stuff, and I, you know, I've seen it, but I've seen the pattern because I'm 54 years old. It's not like I haven't seen a martial arts pattern. You know, yay, everybody's all together for a while. Ooh, boo, they all fall apart. Hey, everybody's together again. Ooh, they all fall apart. It's just a cycle, you know. It's, it's, I think everybody has a crescendo in their career or in their associations or with their training groups. But, you know, it, it's like the strangest institution because martial arts is a, it's a lifelong college journey, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's an eggshell sometimes if you leave college you know, to go to another college right. or some, stay somewhere else. So me, myself, I've never really been in the academia aspect of martial arts. I've been in the Mr. Miyagi aspect. You know, it, it's right. like literally my life is a Mr. Miyagi. You know, I watch people come in and out of the dojo, and I'm like, huh, I didn't train in a yuki. <laughs> I trained in my pajamas. <laughs> I trained in my backyard with my dad not combing his hair and his hair all over the place. You know, and him yelling right. at me and saying, again, again, you know. It, it's not what people, you know, I really lived a Mr. Miyagi lifestyle. And I, I've had a very colorful life because, you know, in my dad's journey, he, he befriended a lot of really interesting people in the community. And as a result, um, sometimes over my lifetime, I've been invited to come into certain circles that are not in the public. Um, you know, just just really closed-off groups that that had an influence over my dad's writings or different things in, in, in his training. And and some of these guys, you know, they they got to meet me and they got to tell me all these old stories and it's 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 like I it's like if you take Mr. Miyagi and you take Forrest Gump and you mix them together, that's my life. You know, I I've been in these weird places, you know, and it's yeah, I, I was a Led Zeppelin fan and all of a sudden I wind up in Elvis Presley's hotel room and He's looking at me, and this is my only Elvis story. It's kind of funny. I have a billion Elvis stories that surround the experience of Elvis, but only one time I met him. And, and the one time that I met him, we just lined up as kids of Ed Parker, oldest to the youngest. I'm in the middle. They start off with my oldest, Darlene, Beth. And he, we get to me, and, and Elvis looks at me and he goes, well, how you doing, Chuck? And I looked at him, and I, it's, it, it's, it's Edmund. <laughs> and all <laughs> horrible. You know? Well, there's my big Elvis story, you know, and um, 
but 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 you know, but nonetheless, I mean, I was in the Led Zeppelin at the time. But you know, when you look back at, at, in in your life, at the time you don't think about it. You just think, okay, Elvis sang to the blue-haired ladies in church because that's you know, I mean, I was a teenager, sixteen years old. He's already singing to forty-year-old women. So when you're sixty, sixteen-year-old, and the and the the age group is in their late thirties, forties, to a kid that's sixteen, late thirties, forties, might as well be ninety. <laughs> you know, that's ancient old stuff. So I didn't think of that. But now that I'm older, I'm looking back. I'm going, holy crap! I had Elvis in our house, and I I opted to not go home. He played on our <laughs> piano at our house, and I opted to say. Look, I'd rather hang out with my Boy Scout renegade group up in Altadena, home in the mountains, looking for repelling spots on mountains. You know, because I was a I was wow. an adrenaline junkie as a young kid. It was all about the thrill. I, my drug was adrenaline. Jump off a of waterfall right. with 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 my sweetheart and in, in in high school and 125 foot and all this other stuff. That was my that was my thrill and. I didn't understand the karate thing because karate, it was always whenever I supported my dance community, you saw so much anger and angst and this and that. And I'm going, wow, when you rock climb, everyone's cheering you on and you're, you're fighting your own battles and stuff. And I kind of went in that direction when I was young and I was a cyclist and stuff. And, and it was kind of weird the way it all worked out, but that's how, you know, in the middle of that, here, here Elvis walks into our house. <laughs> You know, just looking back, it's, it's funny because you don't get that perspective when you're young. When you're young, we had Bruce Lee in our house. We had Chuck Norris in our house. We had all these different people in our house. But it was before there were some – I mean, Elvis was already an established celebrity, but the, the rest of them weren't established yet. So, so we just had these people in, 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 our, in our, my youth. And you don't think of it as anything special or not until you become old enough and educated enough to say, holy crap. <laughs> so that was Dad's friend, huh? <laughs> It's just the angle or perspective you come from, and um, very colorful life. That, that, that's, that's, you know, that's insane. You know, you're talking about so many different things that I want to touch base on. You know, one thing I want, I want to talk to you about. We are cutting off. Hello? Hello, hello, hello? I might have to switch to another phone. Hello? Well, everybody, I have to apologize to you today. We're having a, a really bad internet day, uh, really bad feed day. We're going to get Dave Parker back on. Here we go. Uh, it's been kind of a rough day getting everybody on online and what have you, so we're going to keep on moving along and keep on asking uh, questions. I'm, I'm hoping you're enjoying the show today. I'm, I'm very much enjoying it. Ed Parker Jr. is a fantastic character, and he's got a bevy of stories to go through. So let's take a short little break. Let's figure out this internet thing real quick. And then uh, I'll get back to you in about, uh, about uh, 10 seconds.
Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to Blog Talk Radio. We have the great uh, Ed Parker Jr. on right now, so please just give us a second, and uh, we'll get started again. Mr. Ed Parker, are you there? Yeah, I am. Oh, there you are, sir. All right, we got things figured out here and cleaned up now. So, hey. so we're, we're so we're going back to the original story of of how how people perceived your father and how people perceive you. Please tell me what what have been what has been the biggest hurdle of going through in your life of changing things from how people perceive you and how people perceive your father in your life. Well. I think that life has a counterbalance for everybody, and you just have to look for it. And, you know, for for as much goofiness as I have, and it's an irritation on some levels, my my life is so wealthy and rich on other levels, um, not financially, but, but just in as a creative, you know, just the joys of being able to produce their, or do things and, and see the, the fruits of your imagination come true is just so satisfying. Uh, on another level, when you're dealing, and, and this is what most people maybe don't understand, is is that when we use the word fan, we don't realize that's short for fanatic, and fanatic is a is a, a degree of insanity, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we kind of skip past that stuff, and we just kind of scoot by, you know, there's lunacy and, and insanity. There's all these different levels, and just a category is called fanatic, and and most people don't understand, you know, if if you're on the fanatic side, you don't know what you are, it, you know, you'll call yourself passionate. But when it's on the opposite side, sometimes, you know, the opposite side exists. Sometimes you'll look at that and you'll go, whoa, fanatic, you know. Right. And I, I think the best way to sum it up, it, you, know, I, it, you know, instead of making somebody feel bad by saying, you know, oh, this, this group is crazy or this group is whatever, it, it's easier to, to speak in, in, in entertainment. And if those have been around long enough to see the, the earlier SNL shows, Saturday Night Live shows, where William Shatner was invited to come out, and, and uh, do a guest appearance as William Shatner at a Star Trek convention. And, and, and he, he gets up there, and he's doing this whole parody on a Star Trek convention. He gets up there, and they're like, oh, 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 William Shatner, and in episode 23, what was the combination on the lock, you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, it was like John Lovett saying that or whatever. And they're, it's so funny because they're all like pointed ears and stuff like that. And finally, you know, William Shatner loses it. He goes, look. I'm a Canadian actor. I had a job. I showed up. The show got canceled. I didn't know it was going to be reborn again. I don't know. It was just a job. <laughs> and it's hysterical, you know, because all of a sudden you just looked at the whole, the whole Star Trek convention just got kicked in the crotch, and they're all devastated. All just right. devastated. Then all of a sudden, the, the host of the, the, the convention comes out, whispers in William Shatner's ear, and then all of a sudden they're going, "Oh, you know what? He was just reenacting the bad Captain Kirk episode from you know episode fifty-seven." And everybody's, "Oh, right. yeah, okay, that's great, that's brilliant," you know. And so you know everybody's back to their their realm again. And 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 I had that same kind of experience with my dad because even when my dad was alive and he'd be at, at an um we would particular event happened with our karate tournament that we had in long beach and there's a group of of fanatics that pulled up to my dad so oh my gosh mr barker i heard that you beat up a whole platoon of soldiers when you're in the coast guard is that true 
And my dad said, right. no, it's not. And he walked away. And but I, <laughs> I was left in the aftermath listening to these people. And what they said was, those masters, they're humble. They never admit those types of things. It really uh-huh. happened. You know, and, right. and, and you just, you know, if you don't see that perspective, you just, you know, if you're on the outside, you, you buy into the, the fish stories and how everything becomes so grandiose. I mean, come on, we're from the land of Hollywood. Hollywood is, is hype land, and so the presentation is hype, hype, hype. And, and so right. is the remembrance of the past. It, it wasn't that big of a hype. It's, I, I, it's nostalgic. It's, it's great to have been part of that part of the past, but I don't right. think it was overwhelming. You know, it wasn't like right. the angels of the sky opened up and said, wow, you met Bruce Lee. You know? <laughs> it didn't happen it was, definitely, it was definitely the beginning of, of a generation. It was definitely the beginning of martial arts in the world. It's very interesting how people latch on. I've seen that a, a thousand times on how people hold on to these old stories as if they're fact, especially the Bruce Lee stories, to hold on oh, yeah. very close to as if they're factual when they're not. And um, I remember being young and being frustrated by that and wanting to correct people, but the older you get, the less you want to, you find out that the fantasy is a lot more intriguing to these people than the reality. Oh, yeah. I've been in rooms where people are talking about my dad, and they're crying, and they're giving these most sincere stories, and they're talking about, like this one guy was bragging about how my dad and him were drinking buddies. And my dad never touched alcohol in his life, and, and that was one of his parts. <laughs> you know, yeah, the, the Polynesian way of producing or, or saying things is very strong, and, and he did this really strong voice. He'd say, alcohol has never touched these lips. So, you know, when a man says it that passionately, you believe what he's saying. So, yes. so, you know, he took a lot of pride in that. You know, one time he was even pulled over for drunk driving one time. He was just, you know, out, out for Chinese food too late in, in Chinatown, and he was coming home and some cop pulled him over and told him to to put his foot up. So he put his foot up over his head and just stayed there. And the guy goes, okay, you can put it down. And he wouldn't put his foot down. You know, he just wouldn't put it down. Just folded his arms and sat there. He goes, I told you I wasn't drunk. (laughs) He had such a colorful personality at a time when that was tolerable. You know, yeah. I think my dad would have yeah. been squelched in today, you know, and, and there's yeah. a lot of things that people got away with at a certain particular time because in the time that I grew up in martial arts, it, it was a different era. There was, there was a lot of, um, it, it, there, was a, there was a moment where if you open up a karate school and there was another karate school in the city, you go and you challenge right. that karate studio. And if they got right. their butt beat, they had to move out. And, and you know, that kind of stuff don't gel nowadays. <laughs> No, I remember Chuck Ooh. Norris had a school in Tarzana, and he used to get challenged all the time. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what we had at our school. You know, he's always had some some crusty guy coming in from somewhere, and um, <laughs> you know, always challenged them in the studio. It, it, that's what makes the you know the the reminiscing of the past so colorful, is because those stories are so colorful. Right. Um, right. Like, like these these guys come in and they they challenge my dad, but my dad. I think that when you become so secure with your physical abilities, it's like you're playing kick the leper with people with movement. So it's, it's, right. it's like that's not your challenge. It's, your challenge is not if you can beat them up physically. And, and I noticed that in the evolution of my father when he was younger. He had these, these stories that they talked about that were physical. But when he got older, the stories he talked about were mental. 
and I, I could mm-hmm. see the evolution where most people don't see the evolution of how masters grow. You know, they, they, a lot of times they see my dad at the tail end of his life and they assume that he was that way from 18 on, you know, or 16 on. Like the day he took karate, right. he became a master. <laughs> you know, right. you know, they don't look at it. He was a white belt struggling to make it work like everybody else was, you know. And and but they 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 give that kind of that weight to his to his power way early, you know. And right. and I, I think it really was is just passion and, and timing and 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 you know, his personality. He, he had a really dynamic personality, and you know it was just all those elements at the right time at the right place, you know, resulted in in him having you know uh, being such a great pioneer of of martial arts at a t- particular time period like basically it was 50 years ago so if we could just say that that the history of of modern martial arts started in in the late 50s early 60s and it spanned out from America because of our ability to c- communicate it on a global level it's it's we at least are known for our levels of spreading out the word you know, in, in a different context where, where certain countries would keep it to themselves. So it was through the right. American influence that kind of hit the globe, and, and it grew from there. And, um, you know, but the thing is, is at least we could look at the modern martial arts as, you know, my dad was part of the trunk, where, where you know, right. all of us are part of the branches and, and the leaves, and, you know, there's a billion leaves out there, and <laughs> but well, there's only one trunk. It. That brings me to the other subject. How, how do you see martial arts today compared to how you saw martial arts as a child with your, with your father? Well, it, it's different when you look at the way that a person is when they're born and raised in the industry. It's different. You, you know, when you're in a martial arts um, world, um, it, there's a lot. It, just like anything else, even, even with religion, you know, when you, when you, see, you go to church and, and there might be a written law, but there's a cultural thing in church just as there is in martial arts there's a cultural pressure to be a certain way or act a certain way or you know and and some of its military influence you know because some of the martial arts was infested with military thought process and but you have a clash of different uh, philosophies because uh, more the japanese influence was more military and rigid and you didn't ask questions and you did it and that's it you don't ask why but in the Chinese, at certain times, their development was more, in times of peace, look for how nature survives. And that's how herbology happened. And that's how they, they looked at the survival techniques of animals fighting. You know, and then they mimicked that. How does the monkey fight? Oh, that's interesting. And how does the deer fight? And how does the lion and tiger? And, you know, and, and they try to mimic the survival techniques. And so the philosophy of discovery was totally different. And, and you're looking at the, the, you know, the merging of these Asian philosophies through Hawaii. And, and a lot of the, the, the guys that came through Hawaii are the ones that wound up being the influence in, in the United States. Um, it just, it just the funnel effect that came in. And it was interesting because the martial arts industry at the beginning was territorial. It was, um, it was the Chinese on the West Coast. It was the Japanese on the Midwest, and it was the Koreans on the East Coast. And that's how it was territorially laid out until Ed Parker comes along and kind of jacked that up and, you know, he bent a lot of people because, it, you know, he broke the status quo. And, right. and, and then things changed. I mean, you know, it's just an era and things changed and, and another group, you know, grows. And, and now it's, 
you know, the scary thing is is that when you encourage independence on one level, what you do is you create such an independence that now we have eight million international organizations. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I think and you that, also like it. Go ahead. What, what's that? You were saying. And you also see like eight hundred schools of of Ed Parker as well, which you know are not. Oh, oh yeah, of course they're not. Of course they're not. You know and. And it's it's funny because there there there'd be times I I um I'll be in a room where where everybody's talking bragging about my dad and and I'll just be smiling because they won't ask for my opinion and I half right. the time people will look at me and will say is this guy telling the truth and I and I I don't like necessarily exposing everybody because that's a full time job right. you know humans are goofy get over it you know you know I I don't want to be TMZ of the martial arts group you know. <laughs> All everybody's dirt, you know. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it, by the way. A TV you know, of martial just, arts. You know, I mean, martial arts is a sideshow for people. Some sometimes, I mean, uh, you know, it's right. it's kind of like. I, 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 better way to preface this: when I used to go to tournaments or when we hosted our own tournaments, it's like there's things that rise up in the martial arts community that was only in the martial arts community. It's like I really do not know what martial arts has to do with four people punching you in the throat at the same time. <laughs> but, but I've seen it. You know, I really don't understand why you need to do katas yeah. with live rattlesnakes all over your body. You know? Right. I don't know what that has to right. do with it. So it. It's like there's there's like a sideshow that, that exists just for a particular industry, and that industry bursts right. these goofy... But colorful, you know. I'm, I'm not saying goofy, negative. I'm just just bizarre kind of things. And and and, but it's funny too because when you talk and reminiscing of, you know, because a lot of times martial arts functions are nothing more than reunions, and you just hack over old stories over and over and over again. And and some of the stories that come up, you forget. And I'm glad they come up because you know, there's certain times, you know, like for instance, the guy that got punched in the throat from all four angles at the same time. You, you ask right. questions years later. Whatever happened to that guy? Oh, he died. Really, you know, and then you, you <laughs> ask about the guy who uh, who who did katas with rattlesnakes. Katas is forms in in Japanese. Anyway, uh, the forms. Okay, so they're doing forms in right. martial arts, which is nothing right. more than shadow boxing in a choreographed fashion, so that you can see your basics and the movement, and the flow, and the transition between your flows. And so this guy's showing off with with rattlesnakes. But of course, the question gets asked. So whatever happened to that guy who did the forms with the uh, rattlesnakes? Oh, he died from a rattlesnake bite. Really? <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, so, you know, and, and the thing is, is that this industry takes themselves too seriously sometimes. And, and a prime example is, is when there's a, 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 there's a parody on martial arts that's called Enter the Dojo. And yes. it started surfacing on the Internet. And when that thing first came out, it, it paralleled my sense of humor to a T. I've used that in my my teaching all the time because I always say you know sometimes the martial arts thought, thought process is you know break your nose break your neck break your break your ribs break your foot break your knee <laughs> you know for a handshake or something like that a bad handshake and you're just looking at the variables of violence that is practiced sometimes and you're going okay do you guys ever take a step back and say hello <laughs> what are we doing here. You know, and then we're going, okay, wait a minute, are we scaling this for kids? You right. know, our industry is 70% children, and we're making it, we're making war and battle material cutesy. 
Right. It's kind of lunacy. So that's that's kind of where I, you know, because that's a long way of answering your question about the evolution of martial arts. To me, that's where it is. I think martial arts itself is fine as, as long as you want to keep and preserve the teaching styles and material for the purpose right. of exercise or history or or the event that the apocalypse happens or the zombie apocalypse happens, and you can unload on people. <laughs> you know? You could rip their heads off and pull their hearts out yes. and show it back to them. And, and all the things that, that we fantasize in martial arts about justifying that moment, you know, because there's a lot of us that have that. You know, there's a lot of us that have this fantasy that, you know, um, one day, if I had to kill, I'd love to kill you this way. You know, I'd love to rip <laughs> your head off. I'd love to, you know, I'd like to show your beating heart back to you, you know, type of thing. And there's this romantic fought with violence sometimes. And, and, right. and, it, and, and how do, I, how do I, I, I do that? Because I can go right into my, my family. Because my family, this is the goofy thing about my family, is that my dad was not the you know, only son. He had other brothers. But they were tough guys, too. You know, that Hawaii is not what people thought. You know, Hawaii to people was Waikiki Beach and palm trees and stuff like that. They didn't oh, think yeah. that it's just... You know, it's, it's rough neighborhoods, and people got knifed and stabbed and, and killed and yeah. beat up all the time, just like any other neighborhood. Just like, and it's all based on classes. And my dad was raised in a ghetto, and and right. and so his success says, "Ooh, he was really famous and, and wealthy." But it's like he was in a ghetto. Yeah. <laughs> he he yeah. had his, you know, he was chased after, and 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 he got tired of running, so he took boxing. And then he he heard, you know, from a guy that he went to church with that was half his size that said, I, I got in a fight and I could take on three people. And then he goes, how can you lie in church? That's not right. A guy your size can't take on three people. And my dad was studying jiu-jitsu and boxing at the time, so the philosophy in those fight systems is more the one-on-one. So his, mm-hmm. his thought process stopped him there because he's thinking, I, you can only handle one at a time. If you're in a jiu-jitsu thing, you're locked up with one person. If you're in a boxing thing, you're locked up in one person. But let me add something to that. He was 16 when he had that thought process. Uh, <laughs> I had to keep reminding people of that. What do you mean, Parker thought? That's not right. <laughs> he was trying to correct okay. his son. That's hilarious. So I just had to make sure I, I keep the balance in there because martial arts are very sensitive sometimes about their patriotism yes. to their art. And, right. and anything that looks like it's a – it's a belittlement of their art. They get very defensive, and they need to, to be, you know, flying with their cape to defend their system. And 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 I somewhere in there in the evolution, people said, okay, look, maybe street fighting isn't the only option. Maybe let's add some ground fighting. And and somewhere in the evolution of people's loyalty to their system and to their art, they said, well, wait a minute, why don't we do a buffet line and start picking and choosing the things that we feel would work best from different cultures, and to evolve ourselves as warriors or fighters or, or whatever the goal is in, in that, that progression of, of knowledge. And, and, and as a result, MMA was born. Right. And, and the problem with MMA uh, on a balanced level is it became a buffet line without vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. it's like yes, here have steak no just have steak and have pork right. chops oh and have some lobster and have everything that gives you gout and 
<laughs> and it's like, I'm sorry, you got you kind of yeah. do need some veggies. I'm sorry, there is a balance to life. And and you know, and it was kind of funny because then all of a sudden this TV show starts showing up on the internet. Um, Enter the dojo. The the industry right. took him serious, and they were angry at him. And they were like, "Who is this guy who's acting like he's some such and such and such and tough tough karate guy? Our system can right. kick his butt and blah da blah da blah da blah da." And the hate was just a rampant on the first post of their stuff. But it's kind of funny because I, I became friends with a cast member. I did a poster for them, and I did some artwork oh, nice. for them because it, it's my way of saying, hey, guys, keep doing what you're doing because I dig it, you know. <laughs> and and so, you know, so I donated some artwork to the cause because to me it's kind of like, you hey, look, you know, we're, we're, we're a ragtag industry that has our own little talents, you know, uh, you know. Yes. With you, with you, you know, featuring a, a radio host show, and yeah, that's your talent, and you've done some, some, you know, entertainment stuff along with your martial arts. And I've never run a school, but I've been on the international lecture and seminar circuit. So you know, we all have our different place that we we add to the culture. You know, and it was right. it was it was an honor because like uh, maybe two years ago, I was honored by the Martial Arts History Museum of being the most influential, the most influential over the look of martial arts culture for the past three decades based upon the way I do my artwork and so on and so forth. And it's kind of flattering nice. because I, I do these portraits of martial artists. I've probably done close to a thousand of them. Oh, no, not close to. I've done oh, I've, I've seen your beautiful portraits. By the way, everybody, if you want to listen, watch uh, Mr. Ed Parker Jr.'s artwork, please go to his Facebook page, Ed Parker Jr., also his website. Sir, well, your website is edparkerjr.com. Is that right? Uh, you know what? I, I close that one down because I'm one of those guys that goes, "You mean I got to draw the artwork and do the website? Nah, I'll just do the artwork." <laughs> His artwork is fantastic. The, the painting he does of his father is amazing. Uh, the Marshall Hall of Fame, uh, the, all of these other art pieces are just really beautiful. Please go take a look at them. Uh, please, sir, continue. Uh, you know what? It, it, just to address my artwork, uh, if people look at my artwork and they see that there's a tremendous amount of detail that I put into it. It's kind of a double-edged sword because when I was younger, just a little brief history on art, you know, the whole concept of, of original paintings was try to mimic photography until photography came. And then right. art changed, and that's when Impressionism came out there and Cubism and all these different directions to say, okay, we don't have to make it look like a photo. But the only people that influenced me was, you know – was my mom would would sit there and uh, my dad was always on the road doing his thing. I had four sisters, so it was like you, you, if you wanted to avoid the shark infested estrogen waters of my four sisters, you buried yourself in artwork or studies. <laughs> it's, so, it's the only way to survive an ocean full of estrogen. So right. So I just buried myself in study and research, and I became super nerd on any kind of topic. But the people that I was most influenced by was the 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 old paintings of the Bible and different things of the Renaissance era right. and stuff like this. And we're talking, you know, Rembrandt. And and um, so that that's what I thought artwork was. So I always try to mimic um, realism. But somewhere in my high school, I got introduced to an artist by the name of Drew Struzan. Absolutely became my number one hero in my life in art. And who Drew Struzan is, he is the most well-distributed artist if for anybody who has any kind of inkling for Hollywood. You have his artwork really? in your collection, bar none. He did Star Wars. He did Indiana Jones. He did Rambo. He did... He Drew did, Struzan. Um, 
Yes. Look him up. My goodness. He was the reason why people would go to a movie. Because you have to yes, think man. about it from a, a completely different perspective. And this is good looping it back into the entertainment aspect. Um, Drew Struzan, you have to think about it. You're, you're selling a high-tech item. You know, which is a film. You have to go in there and you have to use technology to do that. But all you need is a piece of paper to get the person into that technology. It's one piece of paper. It's a poster. And that poster is supposed to say, stop, look at me, be interested, make an effort, get in the car, come down to the theater, spend your money. <laughs> and you have to wow a person in one piece of paper. Low technology. And, 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 you know, a, a guy by the name of Drew Struzan, he only signs his name Drew on his artwork. Um, look him up. In fact, on Netflix, there's a movie about him and about his history and stuff. Yes. And a uh, brilliant man. Um, he's retired because he got swallowed up in corporate pain. Uh, you know, when the movie started changing, you know, the, the, the Hollywood industry changed to heavy corporate and heavy independent. And, right. and you know, because of technology being cheap, it, independent rose. And, and corporate became more corporate. And as a result, it became less free flow for the artist to do posters. So that era is gone because now it becomes more of let's go through a committee and let's get this understanding and let's, let's throw out how many people feel that they would go into a movie that looked like this. And the, you know, it's all surveys and stuff like that. So it becomes more of an embellished on Photoshop imagery that that gets cranked out the night before versus using high-end illustrators for the for the you know that that type of era. So you know, so unfortunately, you know, well, maybe not unfortunately, but that era existed and that era was beautiful. You know? Well, Miss Parker, let me ask you a question that, that relates to this. Uh, I have a question on online right now through our chat. Of how did your father feel about your art or your mother? How did your family feel? Let me, let me phrase it this way. How did your family feel about your art, and how did you pursue it in that direction? Well, I, I don't cower from anything because truth is the truth. My dad didn't like my artwork, and the reason why is because it didn't serve his purpose. Right. You know, I mean, my dad was a passionate man about his movement and his direction, and, and when you have that kind of a following – really the people that are in your world must support you or they don't fit. And right. when he looked at my artwork, my, my mom praised my artwork, and there was a hallway that would uh, feature all my artwork, and it was the hallway just before my dad's office. So anybody who would visit my dad and come over and, and visit with him, they'd go by my wall of fame. And my mom had put all my artwork in frames and everything else, and she was such a good supporter of my artwork and um, people would come in and they'd look at my artwork, and I didn't know how my dad really felt till I saw the way he talked about it. Because these people go, oh, my gosh, look at your son. He's amazing. Look at this artwork. He goes, ah, come on, come on, we're busy. So I saw him shuffling people past the artwork. He never really put a focus on that. And, mm. and it actually triggered me because I, I, I think that we as human beings, are, we play victim too much in our lives. Oh, my dad right. loved me kind of crap. And to me, the way I looked at it is, well, if he's not going to come to me, I'm going to go to him. So what I did was I used my artwork right after that moment. I mean, it was, it was actually from, from living a high school life of him never acknowledging my art side. And I had won awards. I'd won, you know, a, a ridiculous amount of praise towards my artwork. You know, you don't care that Bank of America gives you the, the highest art award they give in the United States. You don't, you don't care. You just want your dad to like it, you know. Right, and so it becomes more simplified than that. And so I was just after him, and I was thinking, hmm. Well, 
martial artists are ego-based. You know, uh, yeah, yay, a lot of people are angry. What are you saying? Martial right. artists are ego-based. Come on, guys. Music, entertainment, and martial arts. Yay, how much room is there in the room for ego? <laughs> right. When one guy's in the room, <laughs> not much room for anybody else. So, <laughs> you know, masks are the obvious on that one, right? So anyway, right. but it works. I mean, it's, it's a positive pro, pro, uh, uh, positive negative thing because, you know, people can use that to parlay their career or parlay their image and, or parlay their message, and that's fine. But, but nonetheless, they're strong egos is the point. And, 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 and the thing is is that when you're looking at the, the direction of martial arts today, I think that having more parodies coming out so that people see how martial arts gets looked at from an outside point of view is more important. Because martial mm-hmm. artists have a tendency to be kind of closed off and they kind of keep to themselves and they, 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 they really kind of keep it tight. But as a result of the e- evolution and the growth of it, I think we have to look um, from, a, from a, a different perspective because when you interview people that are not in the martial arts industry and say, why are you not in the martial arts industry? They'll say, because we cannot stand the Rex Kwan Do's out there. From, because that's how they see martial arts. They see it from like, right. the, the Napoleon Dynamite angle or the, <laughs> or the, you know, or the you know, enter the dojo angle. And, and, right. and that's how our culture outside of martial arts looks at us. And right. and part of my 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 you know direction I guess as born in the martial arts industry is I, I keep trying to say from an outside point of view it's like guys 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 take a take a broader perspective on looking where you're at and I think that we need to look at at, at the responsibility uh, the responsibility we have as educators in the martial arts industry to evolve. I honestly believe that. Um, right. Just as we evolved in the in, in the battle side, MMA has peaked us out. We know the tough of the tough. We know where to get the greatest material. We know that the, you know some of the better weapon material comes from the Philippines. We know that some of the better you know groundwork comes from Japan or from Brazil. You know, we know that, that there's culturally these places where they've evolved certain elements that that we've been able to harness and, and to distribute. But but I think that when you look at it from a different perspective, I think that after 200,000 years, man has got war down. We figured that mm-hmm. stuff out. We know how right. to we know how to break up a body in eight billion ways, and we know how to you know we we got it down. But I think that the weird thing is is that we don't evolve ourselves as masters of motion. We've only mastered the end result of the lose lose or the uh, win lose. And, and and our pursuit in philosophy is a win lose, and I think that as a culture we are more a win win goal, but in the martial arts philosophy we always put in the, the 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 ugly factor in what if we have to take a life, but that's always a factor in the thought process always, and and I can never even teach a passive lesson without somebody saying well what if I had a gun or a knife. It's always thrown in there in, in, in man's thought process. And to me, I'm sitting there going, well, why are we trying to scale the material for war and battle to a younger and younger age to children? Why are we teaching them punching and kicking? Why are we teaching them crescent kicks? At what age does a crescent kick become appropriate for a kid to use? 
You know, right. we think it's cute, we think it's cool. But here's the dangerous thing. Let's take a look from a broader perspective on the evolution or growth as mankind moves forward. And we've, because of Hollywood, we've, we've turned a 99% industry adult to a 70% industry children. Mm-hmm. We've changed, we've changed, we've shoved all these little cute little things into kids. And we have great philosophies and stuff like that. But for some reason, the exercise and the punching and the kicking is never useful for anybody at a certain age. It, there's zero use for it. I, great for energy, great for getting it out, great for exercise. But in, in all fairness, where they need it most, they can never use it, which is at school. Mm-hmm. And they get punished. I mean, any time a kid uses any hand in any, you know, whether he's being beat up or not, they both get suspended. Right. And it's interesting. If you, I, I, it was interesting. I talked to this guy who's a, uh, he's a principal of a school, and I said, um, "Your father he goes, oh yeah." I said, "What do you do when your kids get in trouble? You know, if somebody bullies them." Oh, I tell my kids to beat the crap out of them. I said, "Do you tell your kids that you, uh, 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 you know, uh, do you tell your kids that uh, that you uh, that you principal over?" Oh no. Right. Oh no. It's. And I'm sitting there going, you know, the adults are giving the mixed signal. So to me, it's like. My point is, is that as we evolved the deadliest parts of motion to MMA, I think that created an imbalance, and I think the same amount of knowledge, skill set can be applied to a win-win category with the skill set of the industry, but it doesn't fit in the word martial. If you look right. up the term martial, um, it, it, historically, Mars, uh, Roman god of war, loved war, loved battle, loved blood, loved the demise of man. And that's who we pattern martial arts after. Now, the thing is, is that we, we've added things to martial arts that didn't exist in the first place. It literally was the, the study of war and battle material. And it's become philosophical and all these little elements that man has brought to it to add dimension to it. But the, still, the philosophies of win-lose, and that's what we teach our children. Now, if we want to ever evolve past that, we have to start teaching our children the win-win. How can you teach a child to redirect energy instead of stop energy? And, and we can't. Right. And, I mean, there's a lot of arts that do that, but they always add a hit or a strike or restrain. But the thing is, is that you can take that same knowledge, remove striking, hitting, and restraining, and apply the same principles, and you can still um, handle a fight without having it being ugly. And now, the thing is, is that your course. This is beginning. With your experience so, in the martial arts and your, and your years and all, all of your time of learning and being with your father and being with his, your father's friends and all of their experience as well, is that how you see the future of martial arts, at least for the immediate future, of, of a more, not a passive, but more of a redirectional martial arts than it is a competitive it, it has martial to be. arts? It has to be, but you have to look at it more from a historical point of view. We cannot change the pattern of the old. You know, they, they say you cannot, change an old, you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. You don't need to. What you need to do is influence the next generations. Um, the, the, the category that I created is a thing called Paxial Arts, P-A-X-T-I-A-L. And the Paxial Arts, is, it, it's, it's the same thing. All you're doing is using the same uh, rules and principles of motion, except for you apply it with a win-win scenario, just a win-win scenario. And it's, it's really not difficult to do, and I figured out through the teaching process how to convert somebody to that thought process in a three-day right. period. And, and it's 
it's worked out really well. I've, I've gotten 100 people involved in the process. Um, there, I have 100 certified students in the Paxual Arts. But here's what happened. I didn't go after the martial arts community. I was going after the child community. And what happened is is that we've gotten to, to – um, they had nine altercations in, in the school system. And my, my students that have been doing Paxual Arts, they use Paxual Arts to defend themselves. And they had zero suspensions as a result. <laughs> and it, it literally is teaching people how to reprogram the use of the body. We use our hands, right, to, right. to, to touch and to move. As martial artists, you use your arms as if it's a hand. You use your shoulder as if it's a hand. You use all your body parts as if it's a hand. But if you don't think of it that way, you don't, you don't analyze it from there. You don't explore it from that angle. But there's ways that you can sit there and you can manipulate a body without ever using your hands. You're just using your body as if it's a hand. I mean, it's not like guys don't do that when they hug a hot woman, you know. Right. I guarantee you, my chest is a pair of hands when the right woman's around me. <laughs> <laughs> our, our audience is going nuts. We, we've been on the air now for an hour and a half without, without a single real break. Uh, we're going to take a small little break here. We're going to rejoin ourselves in this barbecue here. We only have 30 minutes left in our, in our program here. Please hold on, and uh, we'll be right back. Listening to the always fantastic Ed Parker Jr. What an amazing, amazing human being! Great stories. I didn't want to focus on on his father's stories or on the legend or or something that might um, sound like an old program or an old interview. I wanted to make this fresh and talk about him and his life. And I hope I did that. So let's bring him back on and, and let's get some things that cleared away on where we can find him and, and what we can do from there. Uh, Mr. Ed Parker, Jr., sir, uh, where, can we, where can we find you now? If we want to look you up, if we want to look at your artwork, if we wanted to find out everything about you, where, where, where's the places that we can find you? you? You know what? I have to do that myself. I have to Google myself to find out what's said about me so I can look <laughs> at it. It's kind of weird, huh, when you have to Google yourself and go, I, I don't know where yeah. you find me because I, I, I'm actually one of those obsessed guys that's so focused on his projects that I forget to pop out of my head to check to see who's looking. Yes. I, I'm just that kind of creative. Um, but I, I'm found on Facebook. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yes. the, it's the obvious place to find most people if you want to be found. And, in, in, yes. and because I'm a public figure, obviously, you know, you, you spend your time in the public, and that's just the easiest place to find me, of course, LinkedIn or whatever. Uh, there's a number of sites that you'll find because I've been involved in a you know, bunch of different uh, aspects. I do um, a custom certificate business. 
for the martial arts industry award business. Um, I've done a T-shirt line for the martial arts industry. All different things, and and usually I have other people manage it for me. So so Google me, Ed Parker, yes. Ed Parker Jr. And you'll find me. Awesome. I'm not, I'm not hard sure. to find. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, if you Google Ed Parker Jr. right now, you'll find his IMDb. You'll find his. Uh, Wikipedia page, you'll find his Facebook page, you'll find everything. So just type, type in Ed Parker Jr. It's funny because I forget different. to look at that stuff. I don't even, I, am I on Wikipedia? That's funny. <laughs> you, you, are, you are on Wikipedia. And it's, it's a nice write-up, too, I, I'll be honest. That's funny. <laughs> I guess what you, you, you know when you've hit the peak of your career, when you wind up as a, as a line item on a... <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia, and people are arguing over your past. That's not true. <laughs> oh, I have that happen all the time. I always say, never right. let the truth ruin a good story, man. If you're telling a good story, let it go. <laughs> you, you know, I had so much fun when you came down. You know, Mr. Ed Parker Jr. came down to our movie, The Lackey. Um, I, I, I produced it. I, I wrote it. I choreographed some of the film with, with Sean Piccinino and, and uh, Jason Sanders with, with Truly Indie Studios and, and with Hectic, Hectic Studios as well. Uh, Mr. Ed Parker Jr. came out to go see that movie, and we're very grateful for you coming out to see that film. I know a lot of people. It was fun. I mean, you know, it's simple. You get an invitation, and you have an open schedule. You go, sure, sounds fun, you know. And and but let's let's add some dimension to it. You guys had it in the Quentin Tarantino Theater. You got a guy that's passionate about making old films. He, you know, he's so passionate about it that it takes his profits and tries to keep one of the oldest film theaters open. So. You know, I mean, to me, it's it's you know, it's kind of like this. I've traveled over my life, and 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 I I I met these people out in Greece when I was teaching, and they asked me, they said, Mr. Parker, what can we give you as a gift? And I said, You really don't want to know what I want? I said, I bet you you have a student here that's got a family that's got an old olive vineyard that has the best olive oil. We do. I said, That's what I want to take back with me. But see, the thing is, is that if you, if you got the bottle of olive oil without the story, you'd say, hmm, tastes good, I guess. But when you mm. hear the story that, you know, it's like with a family that's been, in, you know, that's been around for 3,000 years, the vineyard has, and, and that it came from Greece, and, and I bought two bottles back, and one spilled on an Air France flight, so hopefully, you know, the, the workers got a taste of it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but that's what makes it so much more delicious is the story behind it. And that's the right. same thing about the movie that you guys had. It's not just the movie, but it's where you got to feature the movie in the Quentin Tarantino Theater. And we're talking about more of a nostalgic angle to sit there and say, look, it's not just a movie that you plopped into a DVD. It's a movie that you saw in a very historical theater and you presented at a very peak time. So, you know, so there's, that's the thing that makes the experience better, and that's why people need to get out and go do things like that. You know, it's nice to have the big screen TV and check the movies out, but it's also nice to get your lazy butt out of the living room and, and go participate in an actual theater and chill out with the other goofy people that watch it too, you know? <laughs> that's what makes it fun, you know. Get out of your cocoon and see life. And and Absolutely. and and let me plug your film. It was a fun film. I mean, when you guys there's there's scenes in there that I just loved. You know, you had a one of the the, the henchmen had a low sugar problem, low blood sugar problem. <laughs> I was laughing my butt off on that one. I, I thought it was great because, you know, we if you look at just martial arts films in general, we're so bombarded with this thing. Um, 
that that the only way that you're going to stand out is to have something that's tweaked, that's something that's a little different, that's something that somebody goes, oh, that was a nice counterbalance to it. Because, you know, it's like we all have that fantasy of being that Rambo guy and, and being that one guy that is the, the, the hero or the anti-hero or whatever, the, the big crescendo of that character. But But after a while it all washes away because they all fall into the same category. You can only tell the same story so many ways. So what makes that story different is when you put little twists in that. When you put, you know, people that normally wouldn't be in there or or or, or put people that are, do cameo appearances in it. Like in the movie Dragon that we, we did, uh, Shannon Lee did a cameo appearance. If you don't know that Shannon Lee, you wouldn't know. But later, you know, the trivia comes out and you go, wow, Bruce Lee's daughter was in the movie. That's cool. And she actually so sang you, in the movie. You did something in the film too. You played your your father, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did. I did. I I helped them produce a scene, and um, you know, I did that. And if it, 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 you know, it's kind of like like I said about balancing things out because I gave up my 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 film career. It wasn't really a film career. I was I was going into theater. Then I got offered right. motion picture direction and, and TV, and and I was I was I was enjoying that because I was a theatrical actor. So you, you take a little more snottiness when you have the thespian type of thing. Right. So anyway, that that was the the, the 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 upbringing. But I had been trained in acting most of my life, and that was the direction I was going in. But the thing is, is that in time when you go, oh man, I never made my acting career happen. But I had goals in my career, and I hit my goals. One of my goals was to be in a major, high end, uh, you know, big studio motion picture. Well, when I did Dragon, I hit the goal. So where do you go from there? You know, right. uh, you, you also recognize when you could be an A player or not an A player. And, you, you, you know, we, we all wake up one day and say, look, I'm not the A player guy, so I'm always going to be doing B roles. And and so you go, well, that's not where I would like to go. I would like to be an A player, so how do I change my audience? So I started teaching seminars, and bec- you become an infotainer. It's like you're a one-man act. But so you get the satisfaction of being a theater, theatrical actor uh, because Theatrical acting gets you instant response, where in a theater, uh, when in a film, you have to wait for the audience to see your film before they get the laugh. So, and, and half the time, the crew's half asleep when they're filming the fun stuff. <laughs> so, it's not, you're, not getting the, you're not even getting the fun reaction from the, from the crew. So, you're, you're, right. you, know, you have to wait so long as a comedian to get your kudos for, for your fun stuff. So, at least when you're an infotainer, you can get the you can get the seriousness in there, but you can get your humor in there, and I could go more into my infotaining kind of thing because that's what most lecture and seminar guys go. You're infotainers because if you're not entertaining, you're not going to come back. Nobody wants some hard or hard guy that just is all right. Do ten thousand push-ups, you know. Now we start seminar, you know. It's like, look, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's not selling nowadays, you know. That's a little more uh, no. pizzazz in your presentation. So you know, so it, it satisfied my need on that level to to you know. So I think that people, you know, if you can't find that spot in Hollywood either, you know, then find that spot in life. You know, you might not have the audience that you want that's global. But, you know, you might have that audience that's more of a target, and it can satisfy that need so that you don't have to feel that the needs of the of the few are those who fill those roles, because that's what happened in martial arts. It's like, you know, there's a, there's a ton of talented martial arts guys out there, a ton of talented, but there's only so many openings for them to show their talent. There's, right. there's only so many openings. And, and so if you can find your niche market, if you can open those doors, you know, and, and YouTube's a great venue. You know, and independent filmmaking is a great venue. You know, and I, I think that as long as we 
we as an audience demand uh, the creatives to push the envelope a little further, you know, with creativity and with direction, because I honestly feel mathematically we've never discovered it all, never will. It's impossible to. So for people to say right. it's already been done before, to me, I'm laughing. I'm going, well, that's because you're not a creative. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You never thought of that. It's, it's how it is. A creative, I mean, it's like when people ask me to do a piece of artwork and they go, uh, I have a, uh, I don't know, well, you have any ideas? I go, I got a million. The second you come up with an idea, I have ten paintings in my head with every word that comes out of your mouth. It's, I, I'm not hurting for ideas ever. It, it makes me laugh when I hear a fanatic of my dad's system come up to me and give me an idea for art. Uh, Ed, I got this idea for you. <laughs> You're looking at it, I'm going, look, dude, I'm not hurting for ideas ever. Right. It's like try to shut my head off at night and go to bed. That's the problem. It's like I can't shut the head off. So, no, sorry, right. buddy. Keep your ideas to yourself because it sounds like you want me to do a free design for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we spoke about your family, and, and mm-hmm. this, this show is going on great. Uh, we're really hitting the end of the mark here. But the one thing we never talked about in our interview is, is, your, is your family, is your, your mom and your sisters. Is there anything you can tell me about your, your mom and your sisters that's, that's something different or something I've never – I don't know anything about your family in that, that arena. Well, uh, in, in, a, in a loving way, let me explain a, a good way to express how Polynesian women were in my family. Um, a lot of times people would say, um, you know, how, how, you know how, how many sisters or brothers you had, and I'd always say, well, my mother gave birth to five children with testicles. I said, I'm the only one with a penis. I'm using medical terms here. <laughs> so I said, I, and I say that because my sisters all are very opinionated. They're very strong-willed. They're very strong-minded. And um, so the, there was a very... Mm, I don't know how many people know these types of cultures. You know, here's a good here's a good way to put it. Remember the movie The Fighter with uh, Christian Bale yeah. and uh, and uh, Mark Wahlberg. He's dealing with these these very opinionated sisters in the movie. <laughs> you, know I mean? you ever get a chance to see that? We'll see it again. It's a very good view of kind of how my family was. I mean, my family very unified. Uh, my sisters are very close together, um, and very they were very close to my mom. I was very close to my dad. I pulled towards the male side. Um, you know, it was more like the life preserver. Yay, a male! I latched onto my dad, and my sisters are all hey, my mom. And so it went that direction. My mom was a very committed um, woman to her her belief in her church. And she was dedicated towards that, and that was her main passion and focus most of her life was that. Um, and um, my sisters all are very unique. Um, my older sister you know, was an artist in a different way, did a lot of flower arrangement and a lot of different, you know, different types of crafts and so that, but genius in, in her presentation. My sister Beth was the overachiever of the family. Um, she became mother of the year for the state of Hawaii. I think she had 300 piano students at one time. She's working on her second doctorate degree. Uh, she's just ridiculous in, in terms of her accomplishments in her, in her field and what she's done. Um, she went to college in Hawaii and never came back. Stayed there, married a guy who wound up being the first um, um, appointed Samoan judge in the United States. Wow. Um, so you know, nice, nice family. Now the daughter's working. Well, she's uh, um, she's uh, going for the uh, the the Senate position in Hawaii. 
So right. definitely the family wow. is, is quite rooted in, in, you know, what they like to do. And then my sister, Yvonne, she was um, she was a stockbroker for a while and, you know, definitely had, you know, had that whole thing going for her for a number of years. Um, she wound up marrying one of my dad's um, original students, and, you know, they, they, um, they do quite well supporting my dad's industry. And then my younger nice. sister, um, she's an artist. Um, she's done a number of artwork over the years, and uh, she's, you know, we're all, like, older enough to have grandkids now, so, um, so or at least at that point. And my mom passed away a number of years ago um, from cancer. Right. Um, uh, she was a very strong woman, very opinionated woman, and um, wasn't mousy in any way. And there's definitely people who loved her, and there's definitely people who had a challenge dealing with her because of her opinions. Um, but right. I think that a lot of times when people needed to know how things were, my dad was like a stallion. I mean, excuse me, my mom was the stallion, and my dad was the corral. Mm. <laughs> mm. And when, when my dad died, the stallion was let loose. So. And and what I mean by that is is my mom was one of those people. This this is what men do. This is what men do. Men come home yeah. and they and they grumble to their wives about these these crumbs in their life. But unfortunately, when the wife says, "I'll I'll get you," and the husband goes, "No, I just vented. Don't do anything about this. You can see yourself." <laughs> And that's right. kind of what happened is that my dad vented about, I don't know, 50 years of stuff in my mom's ear. So when my dad yes. died, she just went down her checklist. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to talk to you, Excuse but me. now I am. Wham! <laughs> that is hilarious. See, I, I'm married to Hawaiian. Now, a lot of you do not understand Hawaiians unless you are married or have a family member who is Hawaiian. And the mm. Polynesians are extremely different than the mentality of what people give them. Uh, oh, they're yeah, not weak. They're not weak, and they're not stupid. Well, <laughs> they're you know, most people don't understand that the Hawaiian culture was a warrior culture, and and there yes. was a, there was actually you know if you see the movie Three Hundred, it's very similar to that. When the babies were Thank were you. deformed, take them out to the ocean and send them back to the god. <laughs> you know? Right. It, it was yeah. there was it was survival of the fittest, and it, it was interesting that most people don't realize this that 90% of the Hawaiian population was killed. 90% by the by uh, you know smallpox that was brought over there. But it right. was a warrior race. I mean and and there was a there's a um uh, a place on the big island of Hawaii. They call it the City of Refuse. And mm. they, there was a tradition that if you committed a sin or an infraction in the culture that you had one chance to get away with it. You ran your butt off to the to the temple. It's like more tag, you know. If you touch it, you get there. They don't kill you. Moral tag. <laughs> so it was like, you know, you sprint your butt off. So guarantee you, you know, the ones who who made it to the place, you know, they were pretty good in shape. The ones who were in good shape, man. So one thing you knew is that if you're going to commit a sin, you better be in good running shape. So, <laughs> well, Mr. Ed Parker, I, I, I can talk to you all day long. I've literally been on, online the entire show. I, Thank you so much for being on the show. Yet oh, my again, how, 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 we can find you. Just Google Ed Parker Jr. on Facebook. Google him on Google, obviously. Yeah, look Google, for him on Facebook. Um, it's like pages of me on there. I, I, I don't even look it up, but it's not hard to find me is my point. It's not hard <laughs> He's to got find a Wikipedia my, page that he doesn't know about. Uh, <laughs> I'll put all the links today <laughs> on, on, on where to find them 
yeah. you've got such a great sense of humor. You're, you're such an affable human being. I, I contacted you several times about the show, and you, you've, you've placed your, your schedule in different places to allow yourself to be on the show. You're so gracious. Thank you very much for being here. It was an honor oh, and a pleasure. pleasure. Oh, for me too. For Thanks me for too. It's a mutual benefit, definitely. Thank you, sir. Well, that was Ed Parker, Jr. Thank you very much, sir, and, and thank you for everything you've done for the martial art community as well as the art community as well. We're going to take a short little break here. We're going to come back with some closing statements. Well, thank you for everybody for joining us today on Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa, P-I-S-A. You can find me on Facebook on Steve Pisa, P-I-S-A. You can find us on Cinema Files Radio on Facebook. You can also find us on Twitter. You can also find us on Instagram. You can also find archived, um, archived uh, little shows back, back in, the, in the past. This is our sixth show, and I'm so happy that we had our sixth show going on here. Mr. Ed Parker, Jr., being here for our sixth show, what an affable personality. What a great personality. He can, he can talk forever, which is, which is what you want from a guest. He's got interesting stories, very humble stories. I loved having him on the show. I hope you did, too. I hope everybody had a good 4th of July. Please continue to have yourself a great 4th of July weekend. Be safe. Be good with your family. Be happy. Go watch The Killer. Okay, hold on one more second.
Like I said, what a fantastic show today with Ed Parker Jr. Please look at his artwork. You can find his artwork online. Look him up at Ed Parker Jr. His father being Ed Parker, the great Kempo master. He started American Kempo. His past history with Elvis and Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris and the old world of martial arts. It's fantastic listening to those old stories about his father and some of the, the oddities that go around with, with telling stories. It's obvious that uh, you, know, you can play martial art telephone where some stories get lost in the past. But it's interesting about how we're all keeping it together and, and by remembering the people that brought us to this point, we can keep this martial art thing going well and healthy. Remembering the past. Remembering the people that are in our lives who influence us and trusting them. You find Ed Parker Jr.'s paintings on the Martial Art Museum, Martial Art History Museum, all that stuff on Ed Parker Jr. at Facebook. You can find me at Facebook, Steve Pisa, P-I-S-A, Cinema Files Radio on Facebook, Cinema File Radio on Twitter, and Cinema File Radio on Blog Talk Radio. You can also find us on iTunes if you type in um, Cinema Files Radio, which is interesting. Huh? So there really is no reason to not listen to the show. I heard somebody say the other day, uh, oh, I, you know, I can't understand that whole blog talk radio thing. You press play. That's, that's all you do. You just, you just press play. It's, it's a very simple concept. Um, everything gets held back into a library, and you can watch it at any time or listen to it at any time. We're going to soon have YouTube feeds as well of our radio show. So I hope you're going to enjoy that. The two shows, uh, the one show I talked about today was The Killer. I really, really love that show. Please go watch that show, the first, at least the first two seasons. Give it a shot. You're going to love that show, The Killer. It's hard to watch. If, if you like the woman with the, the girl with the dragon tattoo, you'll understand the area in which I'm talking about as far as... Mm, not exactly appropriate for a family audience, but very, very interesting. And the movie to watch and to judge on your own, and I would love to hear your opinion. Listen, when I give you a, an opinion about a movie, that doesn't mean go, doesn't, don't go watch the movie. It just means this is my opinion, and I'd like, I'd like to hear your opinion. I really would. This is Aronofsky's film, so it's kind of like saying it's a bad Christopher Nolan movie. It's kind of like bad people. Is it a bad movie? I think so, but watch it, please. I would love to hear your opinion. As it makes a spice of life. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today for a very special episode of Cinema Files Radio with Ed Parker Jr. today. Fourth of July weekend. Spend time with your family. Love your family. You're all special. Every single one of you. Keep on creating. Keep on writing. Keep on making those movies. Keep on acting. Keep on producing. Keep on directing. Don't ever, 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 ever give up. If there's anything you've heard from all these people, from Ed Parker Jr. to 
Joseph Cross, to Sean Piccinino, to Brian Piccinino, is keep on fighting, keep on going. That's the reason why I started the show, was to have fun and to also inspire you. Keep on great. Thank you to Lisa Pisa for being the producer of the show. God bless you all. Have yourself a great weekend. Thank you for listening. Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. Thank you, Ed Parker Jr. God bless you all. Have a great day. I don't know if my brother-in-law listens to this. Jared, happy birthday. Hope you had a great birthday. Love my Jared.